chapter number one. Matthew chapter one. Now this morning's this morning's title of this message, you and I, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to hear me out, okay? And uh, so uh, the title of the title of this morning's message as we kind of kick off uh, our Christmas season is Christmas Grace from Lot's Cave. Christmas Grace from Lot's Cave. Now, if you are well-versed in the Bible, you've been in church for any length of time, you, you probably know what went on in Lot's Cave. And we're going we're gonna to read that uh, here in a moment. Uh, but just kind of just stick with me, and I, I believe you can uh, see what the, what the Lord uh, wants to do in our midst here this morning. Matthew chapter 1, let's begin to read verse number 18. Matthew 1, verse number 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother was espoused to Joseph before they came together. They had no physical relationship together uh, prior um, to their actual wedding here. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus." For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took, upon him his, took unto him his wife. And he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's ask the Lord to, uh, to just bless this uh, time now in the Word as we look at Christmas grace from Lot's cave. Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, God, just the day that you've given to us. And we thank you, Father, for just the privilege of gathering and worshiping you and adoring you. And uh, God, we thank you for, uh, Lord, your mercies that are new every morning. We thank you, God, that, uh, Lord, even now you are keenly aware of everything that's, uh, Lord, going on in our lives and in our hearts. And, uh, Lord, we pray specifically for Carla at this moment, that, God, you touch her body. And, uh, Lord, as she's having a seizure. And, uh, God, I just ask that, uh, Lord, you would, uh, that, that you would just, that you would just work. And, uh, Father, we pray that, uh, Lord, as we look into your word now, that uh, God, you would, Lord, you would do what only you can do. God, I submit to your sovereignty. I submit to your leading and your power this morning. And uh, Lord, I pray that 
that your that your son Jesus Christ would be uh, would be high and lifted up this morning that he would be evident that there would be evidence that uh, we believe he is supreme and uh, worthy of our uh, of our life and uh, worthy of every message and Lord we pray all this in Jesus name amen not to bring any pressure upon you but we are exactly 22 days away from Christmas so if you haven't started, you know, the shopping, you might, uh, you might want to get started with that. You want to get that perfect gift for that friend or that loved one. You've got, you've got 22 days. And I tend to, I tend to remind you of this over the, over the last couple years at Christmas. American Express did a study on what the worst Christmas gift is. And 30, one percent of people that were that were that were asked, yes, you already know, thirty-one percent is the worst gift ever. Is who can remember? Fruit cake. That is exactly right. If you like that stuff, just keep that to yourself. Okay, this fruit cake is nasty. And thirty-one percent of the people that uh, were uh, were polled said that's the case. Believe it or not, that let that was literally scored higher than getting no gift at all. So people were like, you know what, hey, I'd rather get no gift at all than fruitcake. And uh, what, when asked, you know, what, well, what to do, how to dispose of a bad gift, 30% of the people said, hey, you just stick it in the closet. 21% said, get rid of it. And 19% said, this is my favorite, re-gift it. And uh, so if you give me fruitcake, I'm going to re-gift that puppy to somebody else. No, all seriousness there. Uh, I would take fruitcake and I would try it for you, okay? 76% of all people said they purchased something for themselves while they're looking for gifts for others. I wonder if you're a part of that. You know, you kind of sneak something in there for yourself. I've definitely done that. I might try that even this year. But to be honest with you, we cannot imagine in 2017 a world without Christmas. Since childhood, our days have been numbered by what preceded and what proceeded from Christmas. There is the before Christmas or B.C., but before Christ. And then there's the after Christ or A.D., which is the year of our Lord. Now, certainly there are some in the post-Christian world, neighborhood, so to speak, they'd like to change the acronym. But we know what the hinge of history is. And the hinge of history is the birth, the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know what the day that changed everything is. But I want to go back much further than a manger scene this morning. I want to go back to the aftermath of Sodom and Gomorrah. We find a man and his two daughters in the cave, and it, it seemed like a perfect hiding place. But soon it became the setting for one of the most heinous scenes in all of the Bible. But even in the midst of the deep and darkness of the depravity of man, God was laying the tracks for something especially shocking come Christmas morning. Having fled from the wrath that was brought against Sodom and Gomorrah where the, the, the fire and brimstone fell and certainly Lot's wife turned and uh, she turned back and looked and she turned into a pillar of salt. But after that, Lot and his daughters, they, they retreated to Zoar. 
Zoar was a little village out on the outskirts of town. They felt a little vulnerable, and so they, so they, shot, they, they, they sought shelter in a cave. Lot's, Lot's family and Lot's numbers, so to speak, had been drastically reduced by this point. Most of, if not all, of his family and friends, they were all left to die there in Sodom and Gomorrah. Originally, he had many in his entourage, so to speak. We read in Genesis chapter 13, verse number 5, And Lot also, which was with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great so that they could not dwell together. Abraham uh, and Lot, their their, their, their entourage, their, their following, their family, all of that was so large that they, they, couldn't, they, they couldn't dwell together. Verse 7, and there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And Abram said unto Lot, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren." And you fast forward the story a little bit, and you know they, uh, the lot chose the, you know, just the well-watered plains, and you know, kind of pitched his tent uh, toward Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham went in the other direction. There was just there was hostility between the groups and in, in the family. Lot's tribe, after the destruction of Sodom, was reduced to three: his two daughters and himself. And once they fled to the cave, we read the shocking and unsettling details. And I'll be honest with you, the Bible doesn't flinch in the face of human depravity. Many have said, oh, man, man wrote that book. Man, man wrote the Bible. I assure you that if I was writing the Bible, I would have left the passage that we're about to read out of the Bible. The Bible doesn't flinch with its grotesqueness that took place in that cave but rather it unveils and it shows the remedy even in the cave. I want us to pick up in Genesis 19. The words will be up on the screen. Verse number 30. And Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain and his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zoar. And he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. And the firstborn said unto the younger, Our Father is old, and there is not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve seed excuse me, of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. And it came to pass on the morrow that the firstborn said unto the younger, Behold, I lay yesternight with my father. Let us make him drink wine this night also, and go thou in and lie with him, that we may preserve excuse me, seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. Verse 36. Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. And the firstborn bare a son and called his name Moab. 
the same as the father of the Moabites unto this day. And the younger, she bare a son and called his name Benami, the, na- the same as the father of the children of Ammon until unto this day. So between the daughters, they hatched a plan. They went, hey, let's, let's get our dad drunk so that we can, so we can physically, sexually sleep with him and so that we can become impregnated and so we can, so we can, keep, the, we can keep our father's seed going on. And so they hatched the plan of complete depravity of incest in that cave. And you, you kind of you read that story, and on the face of it, there's not much to rejoice about. You're thinking, Ryan, what in the, what in the, what in the world? But even in the midst of dark corners of depravity, God's flickering flame of grace may be seen. Because thankfully... Genesis 19 is not the last chapter in the Bible. There's the, these two sons would become two nations represented by the, Moabite, by, by the Moabites and by the Ammonites. Those familiar with, excuse me, <clears throat> the Old Testament know that they weren't one of the good guys. Okay? They're, these were not good groups of people. Uh, they were persistent opposition to Israel. They were continually always in idolatry. And God, as I began to study these different different people groups um, this week, uh, I found that God makes a shocking declaration. And He opposes even their inclusion in Israel's worship. I want you to follow along here in Deuteronomy 23. An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. And later on you learn of the Moabites and the, and the Ammonites. They were responsible for um, some of the most kind of shocking rebellion in the Bible. The, the sin of Baal Peor in Numbers 24 and the worship of Molech in 2 Kings chapter 21 and 2 Chronicles 28. And so I won't, we won't go to some of those texts, but what you'll learn is, is, these, is these people groups that, uh, that are called the Moabites and the Ananites. Literally, when they worship the god Molech, what they would do is they would, they would, take, their, they would take their firstborn child, and Molech was this was this God that they, that, they, that they built and his arms were open like as unto a sacrifice and they would burn fires underneath his open arms. And these families that would worship false gods and, and, and idolaters, they, they denied the God of Israel. They would take one of their children and they would sacrifice it to this carved image called Molech. In fact, if you continue to go forward in, in history, Jeremiah in consecutive chapters foretells of the certain doom that was going to come upon the, the nations. He addressed the Moabites in Jeremiah 48 and the Ammonites in Jeremiah 49. But at this point, there's, there's not much to be hopeful for. 
But it's at this time when the tide begins to turn. In both chapters of Jeremiah, there is a, there is a hint of God's gracious work going on towards these nations. We're left with the anticipation that the restoration of Moab and the restoration of the Ammonites are going to take place in Jeremiah 48 and verse 47. Yet I will restore the fortunes of Moab in the later days. Jeremiah 49 6. Yet afterward, I will restore the fortunes of the children of Ammon. In fact, it's very similar to the language that when Jeremiah speaks to Judah, one of, one of the, one of the good guys, one of the good families that, that would have worshiped God in Jeremiah 29 verse 14. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where, whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. So even all of, all of God's people, all of these different, you know, all of these different people groups, so to speak, they all would, they would follow God sometimes and they wouldn't, right? And so God would drive them out of the land and they would become captives. But God said to Judah and many of the other tribes of Israel, he said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to bring you back. But he's casting judgment on the Moabites and the Ananites. But ultimately he says, someday I'm going to restore you. Someday there's going to be a game changer. And so how and why does all this happen? Well, what I want us to do is I want us to read through the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1. I know what most of us do when we get to a genealogy. We're like, okay, let's skip that. All right, I've been there. Okay, Sarah and I were talking about some of those Old Testament books. It's like, all right, let's just, you know, and you just, you hasten through those. I get that. But I, but I, want, us to, I want us to read through it a little bit. And I bet you're going to trip up on one of the names that is a descendant of Jesus. I won't read it all, but we're going to pick it up in verse number 5 of Matthew 1. And Salmon begat Abuz of Rakeb, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obad begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. Did you catch that? Ruth is David's grandmother. And what do we know about Ruth? Ruth was a Moabitess. In Christ's lineage was a Moabitess. Let's read in verse Ruth. One verse one. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of what Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons Malon and Chilion, Ephrathitis of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech's, and Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. 
And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. Now, this morning's message is not from the book of Ruth. Um, but if you, if you fast forward this story, both of Orpah's and Ruth's husbands, the sons of uh, Elimelech and, and Naomi, they, they died. And so now you have, you have these two women. They, they, they never should have gone to Moab in the first place, but, but God is sovereign. God, God allowed them to go this way. And now you have Ruth who is without a husband, and you have now Orpah, who is without a husband, and those two sisters end up, end up separating. Okay, Orpah stays there in Moab, and Ruth and, and Naomi, they come back to the, to the land of God. And ultimately, Ruth ends up marrying Boaz, which we saw in the lineage there of Jesus Christ. And Ruth is a beautiful story. Boaz is also known as a kinsman redeemer. He's a, he's a type of, he's a type of Christ. And it's a beautiful picture of the pursuit of grace. How God is always, always pursuing us. But God, or Jesus, excuse me, he's got a Moabitess in his family tree. So listen, you and I have some serious skeletons in our family closet, no doubt. But you and I would be hard-pressed to rival the lineage of Jesus Christ. Rahab is in his lineage. That might be another message here coming up. She was a prostitute. Okay, then you have Bathsheba is in his institutes. Uh, she was basically taken, you know, for, for David. And, you know, so you've got, you've got a whole bunch of skeletons. Now let me ask you a question. I, I, I'm almost done with the message here this morning. Why is this significant? I believe it means that Jesus came to identify with and rescue those who were far from God. Who would be farther than a Moabite? They literally sacrificed their kiddos to a statue called Moloch. I mean, who'd be, who'd be farther than that? I want you to follow this statement on the screen. The promised restoration of the nations, including those from Moab or Ammon, would come through this glorious child. It does not matter your background. It does not matter your, your, your lineage. The king of the nations was born. And this king that was born, he was going to be, as Matthew said, he was going to be the savior of the world. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. When you trace back the lineage of Jesus, you come through Lot's cave. And the stench of sin and that cave of incest is overwhelming. Just as the stench of sin throughout the Old Testament, I'll be honest with you, it's nauseating. However, the long-awaited son of David was born to bring salvation to the nations. Jesus Christ is the bouquet, so to speak, of grace. The sweet scent of the gospel is Christ. And it ought to literally lift your spirit. It ought to literally make a difference in your life. Remember that Genesis 19 is not the last chapter in the Bible. 
And likewise for you, whatever sin or disaster you have encountered, it's not to be the end for you either. You want to know what there is for you this morning as you're seated here? Grace. Say, Ryan, if you if you if you just knew what I if you knew what I did this week. Grace. Oh, if you if you if you knew what I thought this week. No, no, no. Grace in Christ. If Christ would include a harlot, if Christ would include incest into his lineage. Listen to me. There's nothing that you did this week. There is no thought that you thought this week. There is no action. There is nothing that you said this week that Jesus Christ is not the answer for. You want to know why I love Christmas? I love Christmas because sometimes you and I, we are the meanest in December. Why? Because, man, we're stressed. we got to get the perfect gift. I mean, the, the, the lines are brutal. The traffic, oh, mercy. Just try to go to Palo Alto anytime this month, you know. We'll, we'll, we'll talk the day after, right? And sometimes we're the meanest. Sometimes we're the most unthankful during this time. And Jesus says, that's why I came. I came to rescue from that penalty. You say, well, I've, I've, already, I've already trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Listen, you still need Jesus today as much as you did the first day. Oh, we don't get saved again. No, but we, get, we run to his rescue. We run to his grace. We run to his care. Whatever sin or disaster you've encountered, it's not to be the end. The Savior with the checkered lineage and the dysfunctional family story has come to remake and renew us by His power. Sin does not have to be the last word. You and I, this morning, we sang about, Oh, come, all ye faithful, we came. We sang about adore. We sang about Bethlehem. Listen, you and I, this morning, you want to know what December ought to be for the Christian? It ought to be a time of rejoicing. It ought to be a time where when we sing, your lips move, and we sing unto the Lord. Amid the darkness, there is Christmas grace from Lot's cave. And in the midst of your darkness, there's Christmas grace. Jesus came for you. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, listen, Jesus did not just stay in a manger. He didn't just stay a baby. Three and a half years later, he was crucified on the cross to bear our sin. Christmas grace. Found in the lot of cave. In the cave where Lot and his daughters. Incest. Grossness. Birth centuries later. Ruth. Who the kinsman redeemer brought her into. Literally the lineage of Jesus So what's too bad in your life that you can't run to him today? See, if you still view God as a God with a big old baseball bat that he can't wait to bonk you on the head, then guess what? You're gonna run to you're gonna run from God when you sin this morning. And oh, by the way, we tend to sin a lot in December. I kind of already alluded to that. Run to him, never from him. He is a gracious 
compassionate Savior. And he will minister to you this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Can I encourage you to, in a quietness right now, to just rejoice in God's grace towards you. is your Savior, lost person, listen, Jesus is the answer. He came to restore your story. He came to bring grace to your story. Tuesday with Ruth in Lot's cave, I I literally shouted in my office. Lord, I submit this message to you. I don't, Lord, I pray that it did something similar in the hearts of our people. And God, I, Lord, I, it just was so encouraging to me that, Lord, when I when I look back on my day, when I look back on my week, my month, and, and, and my life, I see that nothing is beyond your grace. Nothing is beyond your restoration. If you can take a nasty, stench-filled, disgusting cave there in the outskirts of Zoar where there was incest, and you can redeem that situation, God, you can, you can take my bad day. God, I can run to you, not from you. Lord, I, I, I pray that we would lift Jesus so high that we would run to him. I pray that we would adore him like we ought to. And Lord, I ask that, Lord, if there's an individual or more than one or two, God, that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, Lord, I pray that you give us an opportunity to be able to share that with them. Lord, I pray they would seek myself out or, or Mike or somebody else. I pray that, that, that Redwood would be a place of grace. I pray that it would be like a hospital. The Lord, hurting people can come, but they don't have to fake it. They don't have to try to hide anything. They can come and be broken. And God, that there would be men and women that are loving and gracious towards them. And God, will give you all the honor all the glory.